Good morning, everyone. So glad you survived the time change. Today we're continuing in our series on miracles. And uh, let me begin by saying last year, Gloria and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. And uh, by the way, that's not the miracle that I want to talk about today. Um, I want to talk about the miracle of salvation. But Gloria and I decided that what we would do is we'd go to England and celebrate and uh, do some sightseeing, which we love. And we visited a friend of ours in Wales, and uh, then we went uh, and just did some looking around. I, I told my friend that I had always dreamt of going to uh, Oxford, and Oxford, England is where Oxford University is, in case you don't know. And so he said, well, I know somebody there who can give us a tour. So I thought this was fantastic. So we went to Oxford University, and he showed me some of the places that I was you know, especially interested in. One of the places was the college that John Wesley went to. And John Wesley was that great preacher and uh, English reformer who uh, went throughout England preaching the gospel. And he showed me the room where Methodism was born. It was a place where a collection of believers or Christians came together to, uh, to, to follow Christ in a methodical way. So there, were, there, there was a method to it, and that's, you know, hence... The, the term Methodism. But I also wanted to see the place where one of my great heroes uh, taught. His name is C.S. Lewis. Has anybody heard of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis, in case you don't know, is the one responsible for the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, we've seen a number of, of movies based on the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, C.S. Lewis was a man of, of, of great intellect, great ability. But there's another fellow in in Oxford that I was especially interested in, and that's none other than J.R. Tolkien, who is the author, of course, of Lord of the Rings. So I wanted to visit the place where they would normally go to eat uh, lunchtime through the course of the day, and there's one place uh, called the uh, Eagle and Baby. That was the name of the pub. Uh, there's all kinds of strange names of uh, eating places there. But the eagle and, and child was the place where they loved to go. And it was really, really interesting to be in that place. It really hadn't changed over all these years. And uh, knowing that that was a place where these men sat and debated faith. They shared their literary projects with one another. They would read to each other what they were writing. It was really quite an interesting uh, experience. Now, the thing that really, really intrigues me in life is knowing how people come to Christ, how people become Christians. How do, how do people become saved or born again, whatever language you want to use? Well, C.S. Lewis had a very remarkable, very interesting conversion experience. And uh, we discovered that C.S. Lewis was, in fact, raised a Christian. He went to the, to the uh, Irish, or the Church of Ireland, the Irish Church, and, uh, but by the, by the time he was probably 15 years of age, he, he, he looked at it all and he said, you know, this is really not for me. I don't really believe. And uh, he, he was sort of, you know, tired of the, the chore and the duty of the faith. And so he, he decided he was an atheist. He didn't want any part of it. Well, as time went by, uh, he discovered that although Lewis had given up on God, God had not given up on Lewis. And we, we, we see the unfolding of, of this faith that he would... Uh, adopt and then begin to, to, to challenge and, and, and uh, begin to, to share with others. An incredible faith story. So here's, here's C.S. Lewis. He's a, a teacher at Magdalen College in Oxford. 
and meeting up with a man like J.R. Tolkien, who was not afraid to share his faith and to challenge C.S. Lewis about what he believed. C.S. Lewis says, I'm an atheist. J.R. Tolkien says, well, that doesn't really make sense. And they begin this conversation. And before long, God begins to get through to C.S. Lewis. And here's what, Lewis, uh, here's what we discovered about Lewis. He, he vigorously resisted conversion. He resisted God. He resisted becoming a Christian. And uh, he, says, he says that he was like a, like a prodigal, kicking and struggling and, and resentful and darting his eyes back and forth, looking for a, champ to, a chance to escape from God. He became a Christian, but he didn't want to become a Christian. He became a Christian, even though it's not really what intrigued him or interested him. It's not where he was at. So here's what he says. He says, you must picture me alone in that room in Maudlin College, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of God, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. And in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and I admitted that God was God, and I knelt and I prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in England. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's a fellow who finally came face to face with God and who God is, and he had to admit, he had to confess that God was in fact real, that he could not deny the existence of God through all of his rigorous intellectual pursuits. After his conversion to theism in 1929, and theism basically is just a belief in God, and, and that's it. They did, a theist believes there's a God out there, but they haven't yet made the next step. It wasn't until 1931, following a, a long discussion with his friend J.R. Tolkien and Hugo Dyson, that C.S. Lewis finally made that, that step towards God, recognizing that there not only was a God, but that Jesus Christ was his son and that Jesus Christ died for his sins. He describes the night like this. He says, we were, we were talking all night and we were tired of just sitting around, so then we went for a walk. It was at 3 o'clock in the morning, walking through the grounds uh, of Magdalen College and through Oxford University. And it was during that time that God really touched his heart and began to show himself to C.S. Lewis. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand today. A person becomes a Christian by the sovereign work of God. It is what I would call, or what, what we would all have to call, a true miracle. Because what we're talking about is, a, is not just sort of, a, you know, I'll, I'll say the sinner's prayer, I'll sign the contract, uh, I'll, I'll become a member of the church. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God working in us doing a sovereign work in us, and you'll see what I mean by that in just a moment. And let me just reiterate that Christianity uh, is absolutely 100% a religion of miracles. If you take the miracles out of the Bible, if you take the miracles out of the Christian formula or, or equation, here's what you're left with. You're left with a book full of great stories and filled with, uh, with a moral code. And here's what you need to know, is that the Bible is not 
the first recorded moral code in history. Hammurabi came up with his moral code that, that showed people or gave people laws to live by so that people would be respectful of one another, so on and so forth. The difference between the Christian moral code and the moral, code that, moral codes that were established through history is that we find a reflection of God in the code of the Scripture. This in itself is a miracle, which we will discuss on another Sunday when we talk about the the, uh, miracle of Scripture. But today, let's get back on topic here. We're talking about the miracle of salvation. We're talking about God in his heaven coming and getting involved personally in your life. A theist believes there's a God out there. He somehow created the universe, but he's impersonal. But the God of, of Christianity says that God is personal, and he cares about you, and he knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows your issues, and he loves you and cares about you. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture from John chapter 3, and starting at verse 1, and here's, here's what it says. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, now, just so everybody knows what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee to the Jewish religion was like a cardinal to the Roman Catholic religion. If, if, if as a Pharisee, he didn't know the truth, then nobody does. But here he is, here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus, chapter, verse 2. After dark, when evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus, and he said, Rabbi, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Nicodemus recognizes that the miracles that Jesus is performing is evidence that God is with them and that whatever Jesus has to say holds weight. It holds authority because he's got miracles to back up his teaching. Now, it's interesting what Jesus' response is in verse 3. It's not what you would expect. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, you're obviously from God because you're doing miracles. Now, you would think that Jesus would follow that line of thought, but, but Jesus is able to see what's behind that question or that comment. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was not expecting that. He was prepared probably to talk more about Jesus' authority. Is Jesus a prophet? Where did he come from? What's his purpose? What's his plan? But, but Jesus knows what Nicodemus is really looking for. He understands what Nicodemus' core problem or core question is. We'll talk about that in a sec. Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean? Verse 4. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I mean, think about that. How can somebody go back into their mother and be born again? It doesn't make sense. And here's what you all need to understand here. This is now where the miracle begins. And Jesus says this. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Are you getting that? We're talking about the miracle 
of rebirth, the miracle of salvation. So don't be surprised, Jesus says, when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus declared that we can't explain this. We don't understand how this works. Jesus is saying clearly this is a true miracle. And guess what? After all these years of being a Christian and being a preacher and studying the Scripture and studying the doctrines, I still don't understand how it works, but here's what I do know. I know when it happens because I see a person transformed. So before we talk about that transformation, let's, let's again ask that question. Why do we need to be born again? Now, Nicodemus has come to Jesus, and he's looking for an answer. He's looking for that final solution, that what is, what is, the, what is, what is it that brings it all together and, and, and brings purpose and reason to this life? Why am I here? And how do I get my life right with God? Where do, how do I get that peace that my heart longs for? That's what Jesus hears Nicodemus asking. I mean, Nicodemus doesn't really know what to ask Jesus, but Jesus knows what Nicodemus is looking for. Isn't that fantastic? Nicodemus has a confrontation with God. It's kind of like Einstein looking for the theory of everything. Stephen Hawking, some of you maybe have seen the movie, The Theory of Everything, and of course it's a reflection of Stephen Hawking's great pursuit. What is the theory of everything? What is it that brings it all together and brings clarity and helps us understand what this life is all about? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's helping us understand what life is really all about. And Jesus is saying, you can never be happy. You can never be fulfilled. You'll never have that peace in your heart until you come to this place where you're born again. Now, for C.S. Lewis, it was Tolkien's proposal that the beauty of Christianity is that it is a myth that happens to be true. Now, let me explain what I mean by that in case you panic here. I'm not saying Christianity is a myth, but here's what, here's what Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and so many of the great professors and uh, scholars of, of, of literature throughout the world recognize. It. There's a common, common denominator. There's a common thread amongst all cultures, and here's what it is. Every culture has its myth- mythologies. Every culture has some sort of mythology that has to do with God. And we come to Christianity, again, we're seeing truth presented. We're seeing the presentation of God. But Tolkien says this particular myth is, in fact, not a myth. It's true. There really is a God. There really is a God who's entered into space and time. There is a God who actually knows you, Jeff, by name. And hears you, Jeff, when you pray. Now, this, uh, this rang a bell with, with C.S. Lewis because he, too, is a study of literature, and he saw this common thread. Everybody throughout the world is looking for God, is hungry for God. They saw this as the evidence of something in every human being, a hunger, a hunger and a thirst for God. So Jesus has the answer for Nicodemus. And he has the answer for C.S. Lewis. And guess what? He has an answer for every single person sitting here today who's looking to have that hunger satisfied. 
for everyone here who's looking today for that peace. Now, why must I be born again? Well, look what it says here in verse, uh, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What you and I need to understand is that Jesus, by his Spirit, is moving in the hearts of every single person here, even today. And before you were born again, the Spirit of God was working on you and in you. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing. Our job as Christians is to share our faith with other people, to tell other people about Jesus. But guess what? You and I cannot be the Holy Spirit. You, cannot, you and I cannot make people born again. Only God can do that. Let's take a look at that passage of Scripture before this. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. But again, the question is this, why? Why do I have to be born again? Why can't I just sign a covenant? Why can't I just, you know, why can't I just become a member of the church? Why can't I just you know, show up for, to church here on Sunday? Why must I be born again? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the nature that you and I were born with the Bible says, is, is at enmity with God. Did you know that when you were born, you were an, born an enemy of God? T- let me explain it to you. Genesis chapter 3, everybody knows that passage of Scripture where we discover Adam and Eve created for what reason? Created for relationship with God. And God says this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to enjoy all the fruit that I put here for you in the garden. Enjoy everything, it's yours. But there's only one thing I'd like you to do. I'd like you not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do, you're going to die. Don't eat it. That's it. What are we talking about here? Believe God and do what he says. By the way, that is the definition of faith. It's believe God and do what he says. That's it. That's all they had to do. But Adam and Eve believed a lie. They believed that God was holding out on them. They believed that God was not giving them the best. And so here's what we find Adam and Eve doing. They decide, we are not going to believe you, God, and we are not going to do what you say. Now, folks, can I just tell you something? That is the definition of sin. Whenever you refuse to believe God and do what he says, that's what we call sin. Now, can I remind everybody that because God is love and God is perfect, remember every single thing he tells us to do is a command that is for our good. Did you understand that? Everything God tells us to do is for our own good. All God's commands, all God's law is about what? It's about his love. It's a reflection of him as a God of love. So we find Adam and Eve saying, no, we're not going to live the loving way that you want us to live, God. We're going to do it our own way. And here's the problem. This is where sin enters in. This is, this is where self-centeredness enters in. And here's, here's what all of us know. All of us know this. Every one of us here today has a, has, a, has a tendency towards self-centeredness. Every one of us here today does whatever we want. We're more concerned about our rights. We're more concerned about doing what we want to do than we are concerned about other people and their feelings. We're more concerned about what we want than what God wants for us. The Bible calls this sin. And this, folks, is what the old nature is all about. And this is why Jesus says, you must be born again. You need a brand new nature, is what Jesus is saying. 
Now, here's, here's Nicodemus. He's come to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, go back into my mother's womb. And Jesus says, no, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need a brand new nature. Now, here's what I know as a pastor and as a Christian. You cannot be born again until you've come face to face with that nature, that sin nature, that self-centered nature. You cannot be born again until you recognize how bankrupt and how corrupt your old nature is, that nature that you were born with. Until you recognize that you need a new nature, what's the point of being born again? Now, as a pastor, and as someone who's, who's enthusiastic and wants everybody to discover Jesus, I'd like to do whatever I can to, to get you to that place where you give your, give your heart to Christ and when you surrender to Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is I can't. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's why here at Cross Church, we don't twist anybody's arms and force anybody to become a Christian. We don't, we don't go through that process where we try to get you to sign up to be Christians. We let the Holy Spirit do a special work in your life. We let the Holy Spirit work on you. And there's people sitting here today who have been born again because the Holy Spirit has done a sovereign work in your life. The Holy Spirit has been working on you. This morning, just sitting in the third row, Deb Barrett started coming to church. And nobody forced her to do anything she didn't want to do, but slowly but surely she began to see that there was a God that loved her, and she began to see what her old nature was, and she began to recognize, hey, my life is not what it needs to be. i got to surrender my life to Christ. Mark Moyer asked his permission to share this. He said he grew up in a Christian home. He went to church all his life. He even uh, went to Bible college. But he said it wasn't until he went through a doctrines class here and was interning here at the church for six months that he finally was confronted with his need to surrender to Jesus Christ. And he would say it was at that point, after six months into his internship here at the church, that he was finally converted. Now, I want you to stop and consider what this means. It means that not everybody who goes to church all their life is a Christian. It means that not everybody who said the sinner's prayer is a Christian. It means that just because your parents brought you to church and you sing the songs and that you take communion and you've been baptized and that you sing and you give, and on, that does not make you a Christian. What we're looking for is we're looking for a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened to C.S. Lewis. No amount of, of intellectual pursuit is going to get the job done there needs to be something spiritual that takes place, and that's exactly what happens. A few days after he went for that late-night walk with Tolkien and Lewis, C.S. Lewis was pondering the conversation. I love this. This is so, it's so amazing. It's so simple. He's thinking about the conversation he's had with, he was having with Tolkien, and, and he's... he's He's come to the place where in his mind he recognizes that they're right. But he says he, got it, he gets into the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle and they decided they were going to go to the zoo together to have a day out. 
He gets into the sidecar of, of his brother's motorcycle on the way to the zoo, and here's what he says. He says, when we set out for the zoo, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, but when we got to the zoo, I did. Now, what you need to see here is the significance of this. There's a sovereign, divine work of the Holy Spirit taking place in his, in his life. And he comes to that place and he says, God, I surrender. God, I accept this gift of salvation. God, I want my old nature to be transformed and renewed. Can I remind everybody this morning, not everybody who goes to church is a Christian. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. But I'm, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to look at your life. I'd like you to, to, to consider once again if, in fact, you are truly converted. I know of many people who've been to a Billy Graham crusade. They, you know, they heard the sermon. They walked forward. You know, uh, at the altar, they call it an altar call. They come forward to this altar call, and somebody counsels them, and they pray. They say the sinner's prayer. And they say, they, whoever's leading the things pronounce them, pronounces them Christians. Can I just say something that's not quite as easy as that? It is as easy as that, but it's not as easy as that. In other words, it's nothing that I can do, and it's not even anything you can do. It's something that God does in you. And so here's what you and I need to do, is we need to take a step back and look at our lives and look at how we're living our lives. Because here's what I know, and here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that there is evidence that proves whether or not you are, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ. When you have given your heart to Christ, I said this, you were born again. Paul describes it as getting a brand new nature. Listen to the 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. When I became a Christian, uh, I was only eight years old. My parents had sent me off to the Calvary Temple Boys Brigade. It was a program for boys. And when I was getting my shoes on and putting my coat on and have my, you know, my, my uniform on with my little badges on it to say what, what achievements I had won, and I had my, my handbook under my arm and ready to go to Boys Brigade, I had no idea what was going to happen that night. I showed up for Boys Brigade, we played floor hockey, we worked on our achievements, we played games, and then we had the story circle, and the story circle that night was, was taken by one of the pastors at Calvary Temple, and he told the simple story of Christ's love for us, and how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that if, any, if there was anybody there that, that evening that wanted to give their heart to Jesus and would like to have their sin washed away, that they could, in fact, be born again that very night. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I didn't know anything about this. I never heard this before. I didn't understand this. I hadn't read any books on the subject. I hadn't heard anybody's testimony on the subject. But when I heard that preacher, remember, faith comes from hearing, when I heard that preacher say that I could be born again, I just stood up. Eight years old, standing up, and I'm looking around now feeling kind of stupid because nobody else is standing up, and I don't even know if he told me to stand up. 
But I knew that I knew that I knew that whatever he was talking about, I wanted that. I know what it is. I knew it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Humans can reproduce only a human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And I knew in that moment that I'd been saved. So here's what happened to me. I, I instantly felt a peace in my heart. I instantly felt the a heavy weight of guilt lift off my shoulders. I instantly knew that I belonged to God. I knew that I was saved. I couldn't use, this, I couldn't use the language I'm using now, but I knew that God had saved me. And that was the beginning of a brand new life for Alan Denkaff. I knew I was a sinner. And, I mean, at eight years old, you haven't really, you haven't robbed banks or, you know, you haven't been a drunkard, hopefully. <laughs> you haven't, uh, I mean, you haven't done anything really that, that great. But yet the, the, the sense of guilt and the sense that I was a sinner was so strong upon me, and I knew that I needed to be forgiven. And in that moment of salvation, I knew I was born again. I knew I was a brand new creation. I knew I was changed. And I knew that it was God who had met with me. Now, folks, listen. If you've gone to church all your life, and you think, well, you know, I, I, I've been baptized, and I, you know, I, I became a member of the church, and I do give to, to, to the offering, and I do sing a few songs down again, what I need you to do is I need you to stay, take a step back and look, truly look at your life and ask yourself the question again, have you been born again? Have you truly been born again or have you signed up for a religion? Because here's what I know about so many people who go to church is that they are religious, but they're not born again. They know that they love the, the Christian community, but they haven't yet established a relationship with God. And my question to you is, could that be you? Are you that one that hasn't yet surrendered your life to Christ? And right now, here's what I also know. I know the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, and you're feeling something inside your heart. You, you can't explain it, but you know that there's something supernatural going inside of you. This may be the day when you say, God, like C.S. Lewis, the reluctant Christian. God, today is a day I want to surrender my life to you. If you're that person today who would say, I want to surrender my life to God, here's what I would suggest that you do, because I'm not going to have an altar call. I'm not going to have people come forward here right now. What I am going to do, though, is I'm going to invite you to come and speak to me afterward. And I'd like to pray with you. And I'd like you to come to that place where you know that you know that you know that you really are born again. I was talking to a, a young man on the phone this past weekend, and he said, you know what, Pastor Allen, I've grown up in the church, and I, I know scripture verses off by heart. Uh, I know the Bible really well, but I don't think I have yet surrendered my life to Christ. And right then and right there on the phone, we prayed together. And I said, how do you feel now? He says, I know that I know that I know that I'm born again. I know I belong to Jesus. If you're that person here today that has not yet surrendered to Christ, today's the day. 
And there doesn't have to be a big fanfare, that we don't have to get anybody on the organ to play and, and tug on your emotional, your, the emotions. What we can do is we can just simply say, God, I give in. I know that I need to be transformed by your spirit. I need to be born again. You know, when we baptize people, we actually dunk them in the water and then bring them up. And I heard someone say that it kind of freaked them out because they'd never seen that before. Can I explain to you what the symbolism of a baptism is? You go down the old you, when you come up, you become up a brand new person. That's the symbolism. That's what it represents. You, when you become a Christian, you trade in your old nature for a brand new one. And again, here's how I know that you're born again. Is that you can actually talk about the old you. The per, the, before you were born again. You can talk about the old you, and you can, you can say, well, when, before I was born again, the, the old Alan would have been so jealous, or the old Alan would have been so, it, it would have held grudges, and would be so self-centered. The old Alan was a real jerk. But now that I'm born again, I'm a new, I'm a new person. I don't think about myself first, I think about others first. What's going on here, folks? is the miracle of salvation. The Holy Spirit is beginning to do a work in your life. You know, we call ourselves a Pentecostal church. And, and many Pentecostals really don't understand what it really means to have the Holy Spirit working in their life. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is living in you and working in you is that you now are not self-centered. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you is that now you are forgiving people who have hurt you and offended you. That you are loving those who are not terribly lovable. That your desire is to pray and, and read the Bible and hear the voice of God. This is the evidence that you are now part of God's family. Now here's what I know, is that Everybody nowadays, and you've heard it yourself, everybody talks about how we're all God's children. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that it's not true. What makes you a child of God is that you have been born again, that you've surrendered your life to Christ. Now, you may be one of those people here today who says, you know what? I've gone to church all my life, but I've never surrendered my life to Christ. Today is the day. But maybe you're here today and you've been born again and you love the Lord, you're walking with God. But now here's my question to you is when's the last time you led somebody else to Jesus? When's the last time you told somebody else about your Lord and your Savior? When's the last time you made it possible for somebody else to hear the truth so that they could be born again? And here's what you and I need to know. If we've been transformed by the Spirit of Christ, if we are children of God, then our heart's desire, our hunger, is to see others come to Christ as well. Would you stand with me, please? And I'd like us to pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for the gift, the miracle of salvation. We want to say thank you, God. Uh, those of us who have been born again, we want to say thank you that you've accepted us into your family and you've given us a brand new nature. Whereas before we were self-centered, now we are motivated by love. 
God, there may be some here today who have not yet taken that final step. They have not yet quite surrendered. They've not quite gotten to that place where they're willing to say, okay, God, I give in, I give up. I, I, I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. God, I pray today would be the day when there'd be people here who would say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I want to be born again. And God, for those of us who've been walking with God for any length of time, I pray that you would birth in us a zeal, an enthusiasm, an excitement for sharing our faith with others. Because there's a whole world out there that's waiting for us to tell our story. There's a whole world out there that's waiting for us to tell them how they can be born again. So God, we pray right now by your spirit, do a work in us. And we pray, Lord, that we would know a miracle take place in us. So God, we commit this service to you and we commit this truth that we've heard to you now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Tell the person beside you, God loves you. <laughs>